It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. And now it's time for a Brett Bear Classic. A look back on the best moments from Brett Bear's all-star panel to common ground and the candidates. You can listen to more of the Brett Bear Podcast on foxnewspodcasts.com. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Almost one year after the pullout of troops from Afghanistan, President Biden announced the killing of al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahiri in a unique spot on the balcony off the Blue Room of the White House. The reason for that spot, uh, he's been testing positive for COVID, the president has. This has Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi arrived in Taiwan by continuing threats from China, making her the highest-ranking U.S. official to visit Taiwan since former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich in 1997. Now we have eliminated the emir of al-Qaeda. He will never again, never again, allow Afghanistan to become a terrorist safe haven because he is gone and we're going to make sure that nothing else happens. And as Congress nears its August recess, the Democrats look to pass the Inflation Reduction Act. Republicans say it doesn't do that for this and more. We bring in our panel. Founding editor at Washington Free Beacon and AEI senior fellow Matthew Cottonetti. Founding Executive Director of the Georgetown University's Institute of Politics, Public Service, Mo Alethi, and Fox News National Security Correspondent Jennifer Griffin. Jennifer, the news about Zawahiri was big. It also raised questions about how he was found and that he was in a place just outside downtown Kabul. Uh, well, it's really this? reminiscent, uh, Brett, of the Abbottabad raid where bin Laden was hiding in plain sight right uh, next to the Pakistani military's, you know, main uh, main military training center. The fact that Zawahri at age 71 felt comfortable enough to move him and his family to downtown Kabul to one of the fanciest neighborhoods there, live in a house that is owned by the interior minister, the Taliban interior minister, Sirajuddin Haqqani, who has tight uh, ties to Pakistan's ISI, the, the secret service there. It just shows that this has all been a shell game since 9-11. The Taliban never broke ties with al-Qaeda. Uh, the, the Doha agreement was a joke in terms of uh, the agreement that Taliban would not allow al-Qaeda come, to come back to Afghanistan. And uh, the bottom line is, you know, this is it's it's sweet vengeance for the CIA. And it, it shows that they still have exquisite intelligence and capabilities, but it, it doesn't solve the strategic issue of uh, Afghanistan as a failed state, the Taliban being back in, in control and uh, a terrorist state basically having been uh, left 
uh, to fester 20, 21 years after 9-11. Yeah, John Kirby Moe was asked about that and said that this is not a safe haven, Afghanistan, and this is evidence of that and the capabilities of over the horizon. That said, there are real questions about the Taliban and and what they're harboring and who they're harboring and if it is becoming, um, you know, a lily pad potentially for other attacks. No, and I think all of that can be true. I think I think it'd be hard pressed to find very many people who uh, applaud the way the Afghanistan withdrawal took place. And I think ever since that withdrawal happened, this has been a a a burning question. But I would agree with John Kirby that because of the superb capabilities of the United States intelligence community and the United States military, uh, we show that it is not a safe haven. We show that terrorists should continue to think twice before uh, they they think they are safe in Afghanistan, before they think they are safe in Kabul. The Taliban should think twice before they think that they can harbor terrorists comfortably. So it doesn't take away from a lot of the problems, but I do think it shows that even with those problems, that the United States uh, is not taking its foot off the gas in hunting down these terrorists. Matthew? Well, I think it says a few things. One, uh, when Obama, uh, when Biden was announcing the withdrawal from Afghanistan and defending his decision to withdraw in the, the haphazard and clumsy way he did, he said that Al-Qaeda had been decimated. Uh, that al-Qaeda was no longer a threat 20 years after 9-11. Well, it, it was it was, here he was still alive and at large uh, until uh, this past weekend. And then uh, there was a case uh, of why, why he was in Afghanistan. And I think that's important is that even even if there's a split among the Taliban about you know how close to be to al-Qaeda, the fact is Zawahiri had patrons with the Haqqani network, which is always close to al-Qaeda and which is part of the government. Of in, in Afghanistan now, the Taliban government. And so Al-Qaeda is back. I think that that's the, the, the main lesson here. Al-Qaeda is back in Afghanistan, and it's because of our own mistakes, both Trump and Biden's. Still uh, a win, clearly, for the administration and definitely for the U.S. intelligence community, uh, Jen, in an administration that, that even supporters have a hard time pointing to foreign policy successes. This is one they could point to directly panel we'll hold it right there the fox news rundown a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else your daily dose of news twice a day featuring insight from top newsmakers reporters and fox news contributors listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com meantime you have the house speaker over in taiwan uh and how the president and the white house handled that has come under serious criticism as well you had tom friedman in the new york times saying that it was a reckless trip to go to Taiwan, yet you have a lot of Democrats and Republicans on Capitol Hill supporting the speaker's efforts. I think it's really interesting, Brett, that Speaker Pelosi is not the first congressional delegation, certainly, to go to Taiwan. And in 2020, there was a high-level um, U.S. delegation that went. Um, it angered Beijing, but other than flying some planes into the air defense identification zone, there really wasn't a strong reaction from Beijing. It's certainly challenging Beijing. 
Um, I think what's notable is that 26 Republicans led by Senator Mitch McConnell supported Pelosi's trip. She invited Republicans to come along the trip. It was only five uh, Democrats who joined her. But uh, but yet that letter from uh, led by Senator McConnell uh, is significant. It's significant because we're at a moment in time where uh, these kind of signals to uh, to Beijing that the U.S. is not going to let them just roll into Taiwan the way uh, Putin was allowed to roll into Ukraine. Uh, the the administration is balancing a very difficult moment in history where you have the rise of a, a rising power like China that is a huge great power. Uh, you have a receding power like uh, Putin and Russia that is challenging the world order. All of this is in, is is the rise of autocracies and a challenge to the international uh, uh, rule of law. And so this, w- w- it's a very tense moment. The Pentagon is watching very closely. There are warships, as we've mentioned, in the sea east of Taiwan. Uh, my guess is that China, this is going to motivate China to move on Taiwan in some way, but China moves a little differently than Russia. They don't do things straight up with their military. They strangle economies. Uh, they use economic power and pressure and diplomatic pressure, and they strangle countries uh, to submission like a python. And I think that's what we will see. Mo, uh, the question is what Speaker Pelosi says, not necessarily necessarily the the rock star welcome she received in Taiwan. Uh, the administration saying this isn't that big of a deal because the policy is the same, the one China policy, yet it, it does send a signal and it is a message and China is very perturbed by it. Sure. And, you know, the speaker in, you know, in, in writing a, a Washington Post op-ed explaining the, the decision to go to Taiwan reaffirmed all of this, reaffirmed that this isn't counter to the one China policy um, that uh, has been, you know, a cornerstone of our policy, foreign policy in the region, um, but that it is very consistent with our values and our commitment to democracy, not just in Taiwan, but throughout the world. Um, I also think it sends another message, which was when word got out that uh, she was thinking about going and China started uh, saber rattling very, very loudly and protesting very, very loudly. Um, And some people started calling on her to rethink it. She didn't. And I think that's an important message, an important message to the world, because had she rethought it, had she decided not to go at that point, it would have sent a message that uh, China uh, is uh, can intimidate us. And she sent a very strong message by following through and by going that China would not intimidate the United States um, and that we were going to continue to show our commitment to democracy in Taiwan and throughout the region. Matthew? Yeah, I think Mo is right. You could have argued uh, in advance of the trip um, or in advance of her decision whether this was the most prudent time uh, to, to visit Taiwan. However, once she made the decision to go, uh, America has to defend her decision to travel where she pleases. It's not China does not dictate the itineraries of any government official, no matter their party. Um, and, and I think that's why you see Republicans supporting uh, Nancy Pelosi's trip. I will say a, a couple of things. The first is that, you know, um, 
Pelosi is the first speaker to visit Taiwan since Newt Gingrich in 1997. And things have changed since 1997. One thing, China is more powerful than it was in 1997. And the second thing that's changed is that our relations with China are worse, mainly because Chinese behavior on the world stage has grown worse as it has become more powerful. And so the situation is a, a, a risky one. And America needs to be prepared for those risks. And that's why it's so important not only to rebuild our military, but also to give Taiwan everything it needs in the uh, eventuality that it may have to defend itself. And Jen, that's a real question. I mean, there are four U.S. warships off uh, to the east of Taiwan. Um, there is a tense situation there, but we don't really know what the Biden administration would do if China attacked Taiwan. No, in fact, the the confusing statements that have come out of both President Biden's mouth as well as the White House and the backtracking and the it has gone back to creating a great deal of strategic ambiguity. <laughs> so as much as uh, at times it has seemed, uh, you know, President Biden went stuck his neck out and said uh, the U.S. would defend Taiwan, uh, then the backtracking. I don't think China knows what the U.S. would do. I'm not sure the U.S. knows what it would do if uh, China were to move. So uh, it, this is a very, it, it's a very dangerous situation. Uh, the Pacific is a very different kind of a war zone, if you will, than the Middle East, which, where the U.S. has been used to fighting for, for the past 20 years. And, and so, you know, this is, uh, the, the whole shift of the military has to shift to a more naval, air platform, cyber platform. I mean, th this is um, a huge shift that uh, has certainly begun, but is it ready for prime time? I'm not sure. And and those kind of vacuums, uh, President Xi is well aware and has watched how the U.S. is willing to do certain things in Ukraine, but not other things. And, you know, it's hard to imagine that he's not um, motivated right now. I mean, he has said that the, the goal is eventually to uh, reunite the, the to basically reunite the mainland with Taiwan. And uh, Chinese officials reiterated that today. Um, so the question is, what will the U.S. do? And I think the U.S. is sort of figuring it out as it goes along. And it's a little bit of a chaotic response, given the way uh, Pelosi's visit came about and the way it was discussed by the White House. Exactly. All right, panel, thanks so much. Now for a bit of history. On August 2nd, 1776, weeks after independence from England was agreed upon by the Second Continental Congress, the Congress formally approved the Declaration of Independence. Fifty-six members signed the document in the Pennsylvania State House, the first being the president of the Continental Congress, known for his famous signature, John Hancock. Five years later, the Continental Army, led by General George Washington, would declare victory over England at the Battle of Yorktown, securing full independence for the United States. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Matthew, Mo, and Jennifer, I'm Brett Baer. See you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.